Guys, I want to read to you what is probably one of the most bizarre verses in the Bible, not because it sounds weird, but because it, it, it's kind of upside down. Of course, when I read this to you, you're going to think, oh, I've heard that a million times. It's not that strange, but let's really think about it this morning. And I think you'll see that, at least according to our culture and our society, this is backwards. It's Matthew 20, 28. By the way, who knows who the Son of Man is? Quick. You have three seconds. That's just a term for Jesus. He used it about himself, and he's going to use it here. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life a ransom for many. That's Matthew 20, 28. It's got to be one of the most unexpected, bizarre, upside-down, backwards verses there is. And if some of you go, well, I mean, it's, it's a little peculiar, but it's not that odd. Okay, can you imagine if your family got a call from the Secret Service? And they said, uh, President of the United States will be coming over tonight. would like to spend the evening with you and your family. Well, once you drop the phone and panic, what's, if you're in my house, you know that it's going to be a very torturous day of cleaning, right? <laughs> I mean, it's going to be like we, we're going to bring in a, a cleaning service. We're going to have that thing smell like we don't actually own three dogs. And we're going to have, we're going we're gonna to put good smelling things in there like potpourri and uh, flowers and try and kill the scent of anything else and like I said we're going to clean and we're going to cook all day long and we'll all get involved in that kind of thing and we're just going to but I mean that's what flashes through my mind when an important guest is coming over all the things that we're going to have to do but then you remember that the secret service was on the phone and they said the president was coming you pick up the phone and you go uh, I'm sorry for a moment my life flashed before my eyes did you say the president was coming over yes well I, I need time to get ready why would he want to come see me but ma'am hold on Listen, you don't have to do anything. The president says he's got it covered. What do you mean? Is, is he going to use his presidential salary and hire a, a team to come in and get it all ready? No, he's got it covered. He personally has it covered. He wants you to just kind of sit back. He's going to come in by himself a little bit early, five, six hours before you all sit down and have dinner, and he's going to clean the house for you. What? Come again? That's President Obama in our scenario, is going to come and clean the house for you. Also, you know, he's going to bring, he's going to have the whole place stacked and filled with flowers and bring in that puppy. You don't even have to worry about that. He knows that you've got dogs. He loves dogs. Also, he's somewhat of a cook. Loves to cook up a Cajun meal. And so he's going to come extra, extra early and get that going. And all you need to do is kind of lay down on the couch and take it easy, kick your shoes off. And he just wants to come over and talk with you. He just kind of wants to get to know you a little bit better, but he doesn't want you busy doing too many things. The president says he's going to serve you. He, he's coming to serve, not to be served. Now, does that seem more upside down now when I describe it like that? It shouldn't because, see, one is the president of the United States. The other is the king of the universe. So what do you think it, how do you think it struck the disciples when God, you know, took a, took a towel, a basin of water, and the night before he was betrayed, or actually the night he was betrayed, and before he was crucified, he began to do the lowliest job that there was. He washed the disciples' feet. He didn't just say that he came to serve. He said, look, let me show you that I mean, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. I'm going to show you that I really mean it. I'm going to take the servant job, the servant's servant job, and wash your feet. Really, I came to serve. Why is that? Does it work better that way? Do people listen better that way? That's what we've got to get because we're talking about the five G's. And today is give. Today is give. 
But I didn't think you guys would have it completely, so I'm going to ask you a question. Everybody get ready, wives, husbands especially. Here it is, question, a couple questions for you. Which would you prefer, married people? A husband or a wife who tells you 50 times a day, not 50, that's obnoxious. 10, no, that's obnoxious. Five times a day, how much they love you. Ladies, I know this means a lot to you, the words, you know, I love you. You're probably saying to your husband, why don't you ever say it? I buy you things, I show you. Yeah, but I just want you to say it, all right? Am I right on that? Yeah, okay, so... Would you rather have a husband who tells you five times a day, I do love you, calls you up, makes sure, texts you in every form of communication there is, I really do love you, or would you rather have a husband who's constantly doing the things that back up those words? He's faithful to you, he's loyal to you, and he backs up those words. Okay, just just don't answer out loud. There's more. Do you have one or the other, okay? I'm gonna give you a couple choices. Kids, that's you guys for lack of younger kids. Would you rather have, well, actually, parents on these kids sitting in the front row. Would you rather have kids to tell you how much you mean to them? Dad, Mom, I love you. Can I borrow $50? (laughs) Would you rather have kids like that or kids who are trustworthy, caring, and and obedient, enough to listen to you just because, (laughs) can you imagine this, just because they actually believe that you have their best interest in mind? Are there such kids (laughs) on the planet? (laughs) Would you, rather, would you rather have kids like that? I mean, the first one goes, Mom, Dad, I really love you. Watch this. Mom, Dad, I really love you. Can I go to the movies? Yes, just because you told me. Would you rather have the words or the action? I'm going to give you another one because some of you are still deer in the headlights. I don't know why. How about friends? Friends who constantly tell you, you're my BFF. I hate that, by the way. Anybody else hate that? BFF. Just say it. Best friend forever. You're my BFF. Or those who are there in a time of crisis. I mean, they're there when you need them the most. They're not the ones that, you know, when you're not around, they say things about you that are bad. They're not the ones that stab you in the back. They're the ones that really show it. So would you rather have someone that says, no, but I am your BFF, but you don't really act like it, but I have the words. So what all these scenarios have in common? Well, they're either the words or the action. Now think about it. I don't want you to answer out loud. Now think about all those three scenarios. Well, it's kind of a no-brainer, isn't it? Most of you are, are, are thinking, you know, I want the action. I want the action because it's just words. Let me, let me surprise you on something. I don't. You're kidding, Pastor. How dense are you? Do you want the words? No. L- l- listen carefully because you're going to get a glimpse into the heart of God today. I want both. I want both. As I painted those scenarios, some of you are going, well, words, I guess they're really kind of worthless. They're cheap. I want the action. But actually, if words are real, you get the action. I want both, and God wants both. I want the words, I want the action. I bet now that you thought it through a little bit, you, you want to change your answer, don't you? You probably think, I, actually, I do want both. I'd like somebody to talk to me like they really care, and then I'd like them to back it up. See, let's face it, the words are nice, but they become pretty shallow and empty if there's never anything backing them up, right? You start to look at it and go, I guess it's really easy to talk. But, I mean, I'm just not seeing anything real there. And the actions themselves are huge, probably have the edge a little bit, but you want the relationship that expresses feelings as well as words. Am I right? Am I right on this? You want both. James 2.17. Write that down. James 2.17. I'm going to give you two scriptures here, and it's going to look like the God we serve is a little bit schizophrenic. He's not, but it's going to look like that. James 2.17 says, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Okay, so that means the words 
without any kind of action is meaningless dead faith. You get nowhere. Even salvation words. So you've heard me say before, listen, saying a certain prayer, like we sometimes do Christmas and Easter, they're big days. Just reciting the words. I tell people, talk to God. Tell him this. Mean it from your heart because there's no magic formula. Reciting words or even raising your hand or something like that is meaningless if it doesn't change your life. If there's not a transformation there, words are just words. That's what James is saying. Faith by itself, strong faith by itself, is not really strong faith, it's just dead. It's meaningless, it's just words. But then comes along the author of Hebrews, who I think is Paul, and in Hebrews 11:6, write that one down too. Here's kind of the schizo thing. It says, and it's impossible to please God without faith. So just to start off pleasing God, for, him to, for you to connect with God, it takes faith from the heart. So which is it? Well, faith, words without works is dead. But hey, works without faith from the heart is dead too. Well, God's just saying the same thing that I did. In fact, he said it first. I'm copying God. God wants both. Now, check out these words. These are the most famous words in the Bible, John 3, 16. Most of you can probably say this on your own. For God so loved the world, say it with me, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. See, I told you, three of us knew that verse. And uh, <laughs> where were the rest of you on that? Well, it depends on what translation you're using, Pastor. I knew it, but I know it in the Greek. And, no, you didn't know it. Most famous verse, you see this in the end zone on TV. You see this, unfortunately, almost blasphemed on wrestlers who like to put their own name on it, you know. Hulk 316, all that kind of stuff. They're famous words, the most famous words in the whole Bible. But they didn't get so well-known, gang, because they're so poetic. For God, so they didn't get so well-known because they're so beautiful in the King James, because they're so Shakespearean. That's not why they got famous. They didn't come mean, to mean so much to millions because they contained such a lofty promise. Is there a lofty promise in there? Yeah, I'd say it's a pretty big one. Believe in me and you'll have eternal life. That's the biggest promise I've ever heard of in my life. That's pretty lofty. But that's not why they became famous. That's not why that verse became famous. Even though it's got the biggest promise, the most desired promise you could ever imagine, that didn't do it. Gang, I think that it became famous because the God of the universe said these words and then backed them up with the most loving action in the history of mankind. He said these words, for God so loved the world. Do you know what that implies? And it literally does in the Greek. It, it's an amount. God's love capped out, infinite love, agape love. There's four different words in the Greek for love, and agape is a spiritually powered love that's not even possible without the Holy Spirit living inside you. When Jesus gave his life on the cross, it was agape love. It was God-powered love. So God loved the world so much, it maxed out his love, that he proved it in the most powerful way he could. He gave. Today's G is give. We have five G's as a church. Next week's our last one, gather. But today's give, perhaps the most powerful way for us to express our love for God is to give. And the level of how we give, the, the, the depth of the sacrifice of how we give really shows how much we love. Now, in week one of this series, if you were here, who was here all the way in, in week one? That's uh, glorify, glorify, which is worship. Gang, that's not a noun. Did you notice that none of the G's so far have been nouns? 
They're not their, their action words. They're verbs, a whole slew of verbs. And give means not just, I know when people at church talk about giving, everybody's kind of zipping the back pocket with the wallet in it to make sure you padlock it down. Here comes the big money thing, but that's really not it. I mean, it's a whole life, and it's a whole heart issue. It's, it is tithes, but it's, it is your treasures, too, because they'll, they'll capture your heart, but it's really your time, your talent, and your treasures. So God's not just asking for your treasures. Here's the good news. He's asking for everything. He's asking for all of you. Oh, is that all, Pastor Rob? Isn't that a little bit much? Don't I get to live my life? Yeah, but see, if you want to live it according to what Jesus said, John 10, 10, I came that they might have life and life to the fullest, life abundantly. If you want that adventure, if you want that life, then you gotta live it according to the manufacturer's specifications. Here's the owner's manual, right? For life, right here. And some of us will go, well, I, I don't wanna live by that. How many of you got here by a car or a truck? Well, there's an owner's manual in there, right? What if you said, I don't like that thing, it's lame, it's stupid. It says put gas in there. I don't like the smell of gas. I like grape juice. I'll put that in there. It smells more pleasant to me. Well, how's the car going to run? It's not. It's not going to even get off the, the, out of your garage. Yeah, but I, but I like that. I prefer that. And it doesn't work. Here's how we live our lives. We go, I don't like a lot of the things that God says in there. Some of them cramp my style. I think I'll do this. And we sort of let the world write our owner's manual. Except here's the problem. God manufactured us. God shaped us, God molded us and created us to live a certain way according to his specifications and that brings joy and then we say I want to live my own way and then we just run headlong into wall after wall after wall in life and go why isn't life working? Well it's real simple, you, you're not reading the owner's manual, you're not living by it and today we're going to find out that something that's counterintuitive to most people which is giving of yourself completely brings a satisfying overwhelming life. We think hoarding don't we? I mean, all you gotta do is turn on the TV, man. All you gotta do is, is, is watch Hollywood and, and see how they, they are like magnets to stuff. They just love to hoard and they're selfish and they live this lavish lifestyle, but they, man, they don't seem happy. They don't seem happy. Or at least they don't f seem filled with joy. They just have problems. And they hit wall after wall after wall. And that's because God says they're not reading this. Because this says it's actually the opposite. It's counterintuitive to what you would think. In fact, I want to put it another way that I think you'll remember better. Write this down. Give is the answer to glorify. Give is the answer to glorify. Give is all about the response to God and what he did for you. What God has revealed about himself is beyond our words of gratitude. That he sent his son, that he had this whole program for saving us and he loves us that much. It seems like a thank you doesn't quite cover it, right? Hey, God, wow, thanks. No, it should be a lifestyle. He transformed you. Listen, all of us have heard stories, and miraculous stories. There's tear-jerking stories of somebody who maybe saved somebody else's life. And, and the most powerful ones are when somebody saves somebody's life and it costs them their own. I mean, there's a lot of stories like that in the, in the wars that we've been fighting in, in Iraq and Afghanistan of people actually falling on or, or jumping on hand grenades or, or mines or whatever to save and they lose their life. There's not too many people that come out of a situation like that unchanged. I mean, if somebody, if it's casual and it happens quick and you don't quite, quite get it, like maybe you're standing too close to the curb and cars are coming by and somebody kind of pulls you back, that's not gonna be life-changing. You might think, well, 
I don't think anything was really going to happen. But when it's real big and the person that saves you loses their life and that something of infinite value is lost, it's probably going to transform you, right? I doubt you're going to go, ah, I'm going to live my life, you know, poor sucker. No, you're not going to do that. It's going to change you. I let my son see a movie that I, I don't let him see too many R-rated movies. I just don't. But I wanted him to see how real and how ugly and how horrifying war is. Some of you ever seen Saving Private Ryan? Some of you guys seen that? And it was tough. It's tough to get through. Except these realistic movies about how it really was. And another one is The Passion of the Christ. You know, it's very, very hard. For, I'll bet there's some people sitting here right now that have never seen that. The reason it's my favorite movie ever about Jesus is because it had to have really been like that. As hard as it is to watch, that's how it really was because the Bible says he's beaten so bad you couldn't recognize him. So it has to be like that. War probably really was like that. But I remember one last scene, and you know, maybe Nathan, you remember this last scene when, when Tom Hanks is just kind of sitting there and he's been shot and all he wanted to do was get home to his wife. And uh, he grabs Private Ryan, who they did save, and he just tells him, you remember the two words? Earn this. Earn this. And the movie starts out with the, you know, the, the last kind of the later days of Private Ryan. He's an old man. He's going to the graveyard and he's visiting that grave and he's saying, I hope I live my life in a way that, sh that showed that I earned this. It transformed him, right? Changed his whole life. Now the world kind of gets this, gang. They get it a little bit. And when they get glimpses of this, they'll try to do this in their own strength. And I'm going to show you in, in just a moment. We're going to see a, several clips from another movie kind of like this. The only thing missing, it's a beautiful movie, and it? it's all about the change that can come, apart, come about when we give of ourselves. The only thing missing is there's not a, any God power in this. I'm not going to give it away, though. It'll come in just a moment. So what God's revealed about himself and what he's done ought to result in us giving just an attitude of gratitude. That's kind of what I meant when I said to you that worship is not something you come to church and do, it's, it should be who you are, right? In fact, I, didn't, I, I said don't come to church to worship. Hey, it's Sunday, time to worship. Come to church worshiping. And some of you going, I don't, I, don't, I don't hear the difference in that. Well then listen closely again. Don't come to church to turn on the worship button. Okay, it's time to worship, hands up. Actually, I could only get one hand up today because we played flag football with the high score yesterday. So I was trying to worship with two hands. Some of you probably saw me. My left shoulder doesn't work. I don't know. It, it, there's a couple others that are, how many old guys were out there with me yesterday? Raise your hand. Well, at least your hands are up. That's good. That's good. <laughs> and we won. Not that that matters now. We paid for, probably lost a year off my life. What does that got to do with this? <laughs> well, giving ought to be a way of life as well. So you don't you don't come to church and then as soon as the offering basket or plate is passed or you go back to the kiosk or whatever it is you do, all of a sudden you flip a switch and go, I'm generous. I'm going to tip God now. You, you come generously thinking and living to church. You see the difference? Come worshiping, come generously, come with all these G's that we're talking about. It's now who you are according to the manufacturer's specifications. So here's what I want to do with our time left today. I want to give you three reasons why we ought to be more generous, why we ought to give. Not just our money, but time, talents, and treasures. My wife says, this time, actually give us the three reasons. Okay, so a couple of you with you. I, I sometimes, like, I got five reasons here, and I give you three. 
I get excited. I sometimes make up reasons as we're going along, but here they are. I got at least three. The first one is it's the least we can do. It's, it's, it's actually the least we can do for everything that the Lord did for us. It's just a starting point. Did you know that the Bible, you know, people, Christians complain so much about the Bible says you got to tie 10%. Well, I don't know if it's real. I got some bad news if you think, if that bothers you. I got some really bad news. Is it going to go? Dun, dun, dun. Is it going to pop? How far back can I go? Can I sit on your lap? Would it be, is that too? <laughs> I really like this. I hope, you know, I hope when we build a church one day that it has a little thing I can go out and wake you people up when you're dozing. <laughs> I'll bring a squirt gun, nail people that are, I like walking, 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 walking among you. For far too long, gang, Christians have been cheating on God. Cheating on God. Somehow thinking that if they just keep telling God how great he is and how much we love him, then he'll be fooled and he'll give us everything we want. I've got big feelings of praise and faith, God. You're a great God. Hey, it's time to worship with one arm. It's time to worship God and praise you and lift up your name. I'm gonna tell you that hopefully this week you'll kick in a little something for me. Do you really think God's up there going, I buy that, yeah, that's good. Or do you think he's up going, I'm looking deep into your heart and I don't see a change. And he's after complete transformation. For far too long, Christians have been, like I said, cheating. We're sort of like the bride running around on the groom and that's one of the things the church is called, the bride of Christ. We're sort of like the 20-something trophy wife married to the 75-year-old millionaire. Have you ever seen this scenario? And what it, or in Anna Nicole Smith's case, what would that have been? The 23 or 4 or 5-year-old married to the 90-year-old billionaire? And what do they do? Well, they tell them, you're great, and man, you've achieved a lot, and you just keep pumping great words into their ears, right? There. But they don't love them. They're just hoping to be given money and nice things and everything, and, and, and it fools some of those old geezers. Whether their words are even genuine or not doesn't seem to matter. Whether their lives back up their words, no big deal. But again, do you think God's sharp enough to pick up on that? We're going, hey, you really are a great God. And then we go out and we really literally worship other gods. We really have idols in our life, and he's going, I, I, I didn't notice that. Look, they're worshiping. You can't fool God. You might be able to fool the 90-year-old guy, but God's not up there. We have this picture sometimes of God. He's got a beard that goes down to his belt buckle. He doesn't even have a belt buckle. And he's old, and he's losing touch with what's going on. After all, billions and billions of years is kind of old. Except God is timeless, and he's not this absent-minded God. But that's our picture of him, because we prefer that so that we can slip by and get away with things. Think of it this way, Matthew 10, 41 to 42. I love how this is put in the message, which is kind of a paraphrase. It's not kind of a paraphrase, it's a paraphrase. This is a large work I've called you unto, but don't be overwhelmed by it. Here's what I want you to get out of this. God says, you actually can do this. You actually can respond to me. And if it's a, if it's a completely bizarre change for you, start small. Here's what I want you to get here. Don't be overwhelmed by it, it's best to start small. Give a cool cup of water to someone who's thirsty, for instance. The smallest act of giving or receiving makes you a true apprentice. You won't lose out on a thing. Like I said, I love the movie Pay It Forward. That's the movie I've been talking about. 
It's a young boy who gets it in his head that even though he's just one person, how many of you have seen this movie? It's a great movie. It's tearjerker. It's tough to watch. But even though he's just one person, he can do something good in this world and he can make a difference. Take a look. That's three people. And I'm going to help them. But it has to be something really big. Something they can't do by themselves. So I'd do it for them. Then they do it for three other people. That's nine. And I do three more. That's 20. Seven, so I'm not really good at math, but it gets big really fast, you know? What do you think? Crazy idea? Movie begins with one little boy having a change of heart and starting small. He gets an assignment at school from that social studies teacher who didn't really mean for it to get big, except this kid is different. He wants his life to count, wants to change the world. And the assignment is, what one thing are you going to do this year? It's a year-long assignment. What one thing are you going to do this year that could really change the world? <clears throat> and the kids kind of bring things forward, and some of their ideas are cheesy. They're, I'm going to clean graffiti off. For, that's not going to change the world. And it's not cheesy. It's a good idea. But this kid comes forward, and he says, I'm going to do this multiplication thing. I'm going to try and change a mindset. I'm going to grab three people and, and look at what's wrong in their life and do what I can that they can't. He helps this homeless guy. That was who was saying, I'm not really good at math. He actually helps a homeless guy, gives him his savings, gets him back on his feet and helps him get a job and helps three people. And he said, then all I'm going to ask him to do is help three other people. I was thinking about that and thinking back to that statistic I've shared with you guys probably several times that says that if every believer who's alive today actually did witness and share their testimony with just one person their entire life, within 10 years, the entire planet would be reached with the gospel. Within 10 years. That's, that's encouraging news, but it's discouraging on the other hand, isn't it? Because we haven't reached it in thousands of years. So what's happening? I will not ask for a show of hands on this. I just want you to think for a moment to yourself. Have I led one person to Christ? Have I ever led one person to Christ? Have I ever shared my story of what Jesus did in my life all the way through the person and then told them how they could receive Christ as their Savior and brought it all the way home? Have I ever done that? And you know what's wild is you got pastors who, I mean, I, I have the spiritual gift of evangelism. We share the gospel. In my ministry life, more than 6,000 people have come to know the Lord. There's a lot of pastors out there that have that gift. Even with them reaching thousands, we can't make up the difference of all the people that are just not reaching one. That's more effective than raising up some pastors to reach thousands. Just everybody reaching one. If everybody at Impact Church just reached one and sort of paid it forward and, and just challenged those, not three like the movie, but just challenged them to reach one, we could get that thing started. It really is that simple. But most of us just go, it'll just never work. Do the math, it just won't work. Somebody will break down somewhere. Well, if somebody breaks down somewhere, then why don't you reach three? Then if somebody breaks down, at least two of them are still going, right? It's so simple, you gotta wonder why we don't do it. So, that's the first thing, that's the least we can do. The second thing is it's part of who we are. 
See, when you're born again, you are a new creation. You're a new creature. Some of you look in the mirror going, wow, I was hoping for more. But it's inside. On the inside, you have a new heart, you're a new creation, you're a new person, you have abilities that you didn't have before. You have spiritual gifts that you didn't have before. And one of them is your shape to give. You're generous. What's the difference between giving and a lifestyle of giving? Well, one is sort of tipping, and the other is who you are. See, if you have a lifestyle of giving, it will transform you. That's the difference. Somebody who just gives occasionally is just someone who sort of lives a lifestyle of tipping here and there. When the feeling hits you, here or there, mostly there, mostly not here or there, doesn't really hit you much. But if you are a generous person, it could transform you in the power of the Holy Spirit. So every churchgoer, in my opinion, has a choice to make. He or she can park in their usual spot. Only you know if you have a usual spot. Actually, I'm looking out here. You can sit in your usual seat, and I'm looking, and some of you have been sitting in the same area every week. Next week, I don't know what we're going to do. Maybe we'll put little shockers on the seats. I don't know how we'll do this, but we're going to mix it up and put you in different areas. Some of you said, this is kind of my area. This is my comfort zone. And maybe you'll get your coffee and your donuts, and you kind of have a routine. And then you'll come, and, and you'll worship the Lord, and we worship pretty good at Impact Church. You'll hear a message, hopefully, that motivates you. And, but see, for some, it'll be some interesting little facts. They'll gather about Jesus and go home. But that's not transforming. That's not transforming. So the choice is for a nice, safe Sunday morning experience, or you can throw yourselves into the adventure and give everything you have for that abundant life. Well, I don't want to give all that, Pastor, and then find out I got ripped off. Well, unfortunately, I can't bring anybody back from the dead to tell you that it's not a ripoff, but somebody did come back and tell you, and you just have to believe. By the way, let's be honest here. Does it ever bother you that God doesn't do things like that? Look at the Apostle Paul, flash of light, thunder, blinding, and and in one moment he's trans... That's sometimes very offensive when you talk about Paul. (laughs) A blinding light knocks him down, and and he's a murderer, and and he's chasing... Uh, Christians and imprisoning them from one moment and then he's transformed into probably the, the strongest Christian of all time in another moment. You have this completely transforming thing. The Bible says that the Apostle Paul was caught up into the third heaven and saw it. Are you with me on that? Do you know why Paul was so powerful as known as the strongest Christian ever? He had this one tiny little advantage. Two tiny little advantages. One of the advantages was a, a blinding light and a thunderous voice from heaven. But the other advantage was he saw heaven. And what he saw up there is he said, there is nothing I can go through down here that isn't a joke compared to up there. Now some of you go, Pastor, I don't want you to go there because my life has been tough. It hasn't been as tough as the Apostle Paul. He was beaten, whipped with 39 lashes, which is supposed to kill you, except that happened to him three times. Bit by a poisonous snake, stranded at sea twice, once for a night and a day, stoned, not smoking, but stoned, rocks thrown at him, stoned, and left for dead. And he looks at that life and he goes, that's, that's almost a comedy. If you could have seen what I saw. So I like to look at Apostle Paul and go, I, I believe. I believe what he saw. What's waiting for us believers is so incredible that you really would trade it if you saw that. So you can either say, well, I guess what I'm trying to say with that is sometimes I, I wish God would do what he did for the Apostle Paul. Just a little glimpse then I'd be fired up. 
I wish he'd show me something, then I'd be fired up. Except that you would get something that 99.999999% of people don't get. And it might hurt your faith. We don't get that because, what did Hebrews 11.6 say? It was like 15 minutes ago. Without faith, it's impossible to get started. It's impossible to please God. And if God said, here it is to everybody, faith would be out the window, wouldn't it? You'd now be living for that that you saw. You wouldn't be living for a hope and a solid faith. And that's what God wants. Keep chasing after me, even though you haven't quite seen it. Do it because you love me. Do it because you trust me. Do it because you know I won't lie to you, and I really have that waiting for you. And if I give you this, then life would be different for everybody. Everybody that's been shown a miracle or a positive sign from heaven would live without faith. Faith's important to God. But if you exercise that faith, here's what's cool. He'll still give you that assurance and the power to live. Most think that whenever the word giving is brought up within 100 miles of a church, I get it, that it's all about the wallet and it's all about tithing. But here's the third thing. Well, actually, I'll give you that to you in a moment. It's actually in all areas of your life. Your time, your talents, and your treasures. That's what God wants from you. Suppose you're uh, any Boy Scouts, Cup Scouts. Thank you. You, you saved America, this one family over, or impacts version of America. Well, do, do they still, you know, I was a Cub Scout for like a day, they kicked me out. The, uh, do they still help have you build the soapbox? Thanks for coming back, guys. I was, I was worried for a while there. They still have you build the soapbox derby cars. You still do, and that, I always thought that was so cool. That's all I wanted to do was get to that. I wanted to race that thing downhill and crash and knock, take the speed race or take the other kids out. That's probably why they... I wasn't for more than a day. Well, listen, what if you built, you know, what if, you're, what if your dad is Tom, you know, who can, who's, who's really MacGyver, could build anything from a paperclip and a rubber band, and he builds the most aerodynamic racing derby car of all time. I mean, it, it, it cost $10,000. <laughs> he wouldn't even let you touch it. You, he built it. it. It's like a missile. It's actually got a rocket thing in the back, which is cheating, but he's got it, the whole thing. He wants, wants his kid to win, right? And you give it to your son, and then your son takes it with a few friends over to Lake Norman. He gets a ride over there and he goes, I'll bet this thing is even better as a submarine. And then, so they launch it down the hill and they're right into the lake and they go, yeah, and it sinks to the bottom of the murky, dark Lake Norman. Would you be upset, Tom? Yeah, because Tom puts a lot of effort into those things. I mean, you'd be, what are you, knucklehead? That is not what I built that for. That's the best derby car ever. You were a shoe and you could have won that thing and then you would have or I would have had the trophy. I mean, you would have had the trophy and, and you could have bragged about it and now we can't do this. That costs so much money. Why would you use it for that? It wasn't designed for that. It was designed for something different. I mean, that would frustrate us. We look at something like that, but how do you think God feels when he designs you and he shapes you? for a purpose, and then he tells you what the purpose is, and then you go and you listen to the world, and the world says, I think you ought to use it for this. But yeah, but God said, that, yeah, but who cares? Use this and you'll have a quick road, shortcut to happiness. And then your heavenly father's looking at you going, that's not how I designed you. It doesn't work. Your life will sink if you use it like that, to the murky depths of sin. The designer merely wants you to have the most abundant life possible. I'm not saying that. Jesus says, it's not Pastor Rob's opinion. In fact, Jesus gave 
two manufacturers or two different roads in that one verse, John 10, 10. It doesn't start off with Jesus going, I came that they might have life and more abundantly. How does that verse start off? Some of you are like, I don't know, hold on, pressure. It starts off, the thief came. So it's talking about a different influence, the world's influence. Satan, he came to rob, kill, and destroy. That's what he wants to do to your life. That's, what, that's the owner's manual he wants you reading. I'll, I'll give you little things that really feel good at first, but they really kill your life, and they keep you away from your God. But Jesus says, that sounds good on the front. I've got a little slower path, but it brings you abundant life. So there's that philosophy and there's mine. I want you to be happy. I want you to be filled with joy and fulfilled. In fact, I want it to be so incredible that even when bad things happen in your life, you're still, you, you can't be robbed of that joy. That's how powerful my joy is. So that's what he wants. And then letter B under that is continuously. So it's in all areas and then it's continuously. It's not whenever you feel like giving your talents. What if the setup crew here, since we are a church in a box right now, what if the setup crew every week said, if I feel like it, if I feel like getting up, I'll set up. Well, then we couldn't even get started. There's so many people, we taught through Nehemiah, there's so many people, and it's about the wall being built around Jerusalem, and it got built in, in a short amount of time because everybody found their place on the wall and helped out. What if half the people didn't show up to find their place on the wall? Then we couldn't get started. We couldn't do anything. What if they only served when they felt like it? Gang, you know the church was designed to be primarily a volunteer organization. Did you know that? It's funny because you look at churches, once they get their building, once they get everything, you, you feel like, well, that's for the paid people to do. I mean, it looks like that. Who witnesses? The paid guy, the pastor. Who teaches through the Bible? Just the paid guy. Who does all the serving? Well, now that we have a building, just the paid guy or guys or gals. But not us, we sit still while he instills in us the word of God and then we get a lot of facts. But no, this should just be the, the ramping up, the, the batteries recharging time. That's what this should be. And then all week long, you are the church, gang. In some ways, I prefer to meet in church in the box because it doesn't matter where we meet. We can be meeting outside right now. We are the church. The church is people. The church is in a building. And it's a volunteer organization. Every, it's one of our values. It's part of our DNI. Every member is a minister. Every member of Impact is a minister. In fact, what would be more effective? Say you had a church of thousands and 10 pastors and those 10 pastors worked 50, 60 hours a week at everything the Bible says to do while everybody kind of sat and, and learned some Bible trivia. Or tens of thousands of people going out into a community and each just doing their little, little part. I would think that could transform a whole city. And I would think the 10 pastors probably don't have a prayer doing that unless people are backing them up. And you say, well, what about the disciples? That was only 11 guys and then Paul 12. Yeah, but see, they kept spreading it. They were the original pay it forward crew, gang. Jesus deliberately made a strategic decision when he invited these ordinary people, Peter, James, John. They weren't superstars. He purposely went after ordinary people like you and me to spread the, news, the good news of the kingdom. Now, he could have built his ministry in other ways. He could have remained a solo act, right? He's God. Hey, I need to get this done. You guys are too slow, so wham, there it is. Just wave my hand over it like a magic wand or just speak the word and it's done. He could have insisted that all his followers do a two or three year missionary stint around the world, knocking on doors, riding their bicycle, that kind of thing, for the first decade and then they'd be disciples. Could have done that. 
But Jesus chose to advance his work primarily on the shoulders of ordinary people who live in the real world of family, business, and community. That's why it works. It's real for real people. He believed that the same skills used to make clay pots and herd livestock and bake bread and catch fish could be used to advance the kingdom of God. And so do I. I believe that too. And if we could just even get a handful of people that impact to really, not just say I believe it, but really embrace it, action and the words, it really could change the world. But let me tell you something. This is one of the reasons why a lot of churches, even though there's nearly a thousand within 45 minutes of Charlotte, this is why a lot of churches don't make an impact. Because they run into, and I've run into an awful lot of Christians along the way who don't feel quite the same way. please? Yes. I think it's a good idea. Sean? It's stupid. Adam? It's the honor system. People blow off the honor system. So what? Just because you do. <laughs> well, Trevor, the class seems to think that you've come up with an overly utopian idea. Look that word up in a minute. Like a perfect world? Mm-hmm. So? I love that little kid. He's got what looks like saving faith, doesn't he? So, actually, if everybody did this, it would kind of be a perfect world. Again, it's a Hollywood movie with a great principle, but no God power. It's actually not possible to do what that kid wanted to do without Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. With Jesus Christ, it's not only possible, it's probable and yet a lot of people sit around in the church and don't do anything. There's always been naysayers throughout the history of Christianity, naysayers in the local church, and there will always be those people. But there's always been, and here's what's so cool about Impact Church. Impact launched him, we're not even really officially a church yet. I've never seen so many servant-minded people gather together, never, never seen it. And if we can hold on to this, and grow and learn from it, then impact won't be a church. I thought we were gonna be a church, I signed up for a church. No, we'll be a movement. That's better, that's better. That's what God intended the church to be, a movement with such power that the gates of hell, hell cannot prevail against it. Do you know what that means? That means the most mighty thing that Satan erects in our way and says stop will just be steamrolled right over by that powerful of a church. The gates put in place by hell will just be broken right through, blown right down, if you're that kind of church. I wanna be a part of something like that. I'm not getting any younger, and for the second half of my life, I wanna be a part of a movement like that. So, before we finish today, you'll all need to decide. In fact, I've got a, a one last clip, because it may take a lot, and that's coming up in just a moment, and I want you to sit back, it's gonna be a while and sort of make a decision in your heart during that. That's coming up. The decision is whether we wanna live our life for ourselves, whether we wanna hoard our time, talent, and treasures for ourselves, thinking that if I have more of these three important things, I'll be happy, or whether we really wanna go counterintuitive and say, I'll take these three things and imagine for a moment that they're not really mine. 
and look around at the people in my life and say, this stuff is really theirs. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. I've never met a person who didn't at least like themselves. I mean, they may be you know, down on themselves, but deep down, they do some things to take care of themselves. They like themselves some what? Do you like your neighbor as much as you like yourself? But Pastor Rob, how do I get started on something like this? Well, it's the same way that I told you to get started with worship in week one. Worship and giving start with the same thing. Do you remember how I told you to get started with worship? No. Well, here it is. Let's look again at the world's most famous verse. For God so loved the world that he... That's how you get started. I don't get it. Say it again. God so loved the world that he gave. How do I get started with this whole giving thing? Give. Small. But I've never really given anything big in my life than give. Small. But I don't even know how to tithe 10%. How could I? I can't see that working. Then tithe 1%. And tithe 5. Just get started. Here's an interesting thing. If you don't get started, you're never going to get anywhere. You're just going to stand there your whole life. You've got to start. If you can't start big, then start small. God gave not because we earned it, not because we deserved it, but because he loves us, period. So when God gave all that, our response should be to get started in a lifestyle of giving back. It's an incredible gift he gave us. The gift of his son's life, a sinless son that stood in the gap and paid a price none of us can afford let alone be willing to give. So a rhetorical question is, are you thankful for that huge gift? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty. Are you thankful for that huge gift? The life of the Son of God. Does that mean anything to you? Because that's where it all begins. Give with a grateful heart. That's letter C. A grateful heart is what gives you the strength to take the next steps. A thankful heart is what gives you, it's a baby step, a thankful heart. And pretty soon you can make bigger steps, and pretty soon your thankful heart turns into a generous heart. That's a natural spiritual morphing that takes place. That's why I asked you if you're thankful, truly thankful. Because gang, you can't take even one more step towards a life of generosity, or you cannot obey this letter in the G's that we're doing, give, without a thankful heart. So if you're sitting there right now and going, I'm really not thankful. I mean, something's wrong with me. I look at what God does. I'm not, I'm not I, what's wrong with my heart? What's wrong with my heart? Maybe you don't know him. Maybe you don't know him because if you truly knew him and he entered your heart, you couldn't help but be transformed into a generous person. See, we're to be, do you know what Christian is? What the word means? I love it. It actually means little Christ's. If you're a Christian, you're a little Jesus. You should reflect to the world who Jesus is. They should look at your life and say, I've seen Christ because I've seen Joe. I've seen Christ because I've seen Conrad. I I never met Jesus, but I feel like I have from their life. Are you reflecting him? If not, maybe you don't know him. By the way, if you don't, every single week I I, I stand up here and want to talk to people and meet people and greet people, and most of you bolt out that door, and I never get there. So I may come up with a uh, benediction that takes as long as it takes me to walk to that door so I can greet you all. But if you don't know Jesus, man, don't be afraid to come ask. 
talk to me or, or talk to Pete or talk to any one of the other people in, in the red shirts and they can help you find Christ. None of this is gonna make any sense to you until you know. Here's another benefit that might help you develop that grateful heart if you're still struggling. Serving. It's actually better for you than to be served. Now here's the final thing I want to talk about this morning. It's a big problem in our country. It's a big problem in our nation. Did you know that we are the most medicated people in the history of the world? And we're the most medicated country on the face of the earth. What do you mean, Advil? Nope. Talk about depression medication. Prozac, Zoloft, all that stuff. We are the most depressed culture. You know what else we are? We are the richest nation in the history of the world. So we have the most stuff. We have the most money. We have put our arms around our stuff and held on tighter than any nation that's ever existed, and yet we have to medicate ourselves because it's not working. So gang, isn't the answer already there? I mean, if we're, if we're honest and we'll just pull the covers off or the blinders off our eyes and look at it, the answer's already there. We grab all the stuff that society says makes you happy and we have to medicate because it doesn't do a thing to make you happy. It doesn't work. Because the owner's manual we ignore says it's the opposite of that. I'm gonna give you the cure for depression. That ought to be worth something, right? All right, here's the price of admission right here. God's word affirms this time and time again. The life of the godly is full of light and joy. That's Proverbs 13, 9. And in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. 2 Corinthians 8, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia for in a severe test of affliction, okay, they're poor and they're going through trials for their faith, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed into wealth of generosity on their part. One of the most generous churches in the whole New Testament was this church in Macedonia, and they're one of the most poor. They outgave the rich church. You know, percentage-wise, the studies have been done time and time again. There's no point in doing any more studies. Guess who gives more, percentage-wise? Poor people or rich people? By far. Churches are supported by the poorest people who give sacrificially. Churches are filled with millionaires who tip God. It's not always the case, but a lot of times. So poor people giving, who have realized that it's not their stuff and giving above and beyond that support most churches. Ought not to be that way, but it is. These people had nothing. They were persecuted. They were poor, but they were filled with joy. And God's blessing because they gave of themselves. They paid it forward, right? Macedonians seem to be living for a different place. It's almost like they got that glimpse that Paul got of heaven. Imagine if the church did the same. Man, just, just, just one or two or three churches in all of Charlotte doing this. We'd capture this city and utterly change it. Not me, pastor, I'm too young. Not me, pastor, I have no talents. I've never seen anybody that that's true about. I thought I saw a couple yesterday when we were playing football, but not, I've not seen... <laughs> Not me, pastor, I'm too poor. I just told you how that goes. Not me, pastor, I, I can't do any good. Not me, not me, not me. Stop. Yes, you. Trevor, you must be pretty proud of yourself. No. <laughs> so you're not proud at all? 
know, I guess. Come on, you start a movement like pay it forward. You're not proud? I guess, I mean, I, I got an A in social studies, but uh, that was just for the effort. I mean, stuff I did, it didn't really work out. You're here. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I tried real hard, but nothing really happened. My mom's stuff worked. She talked to my grandma, kind of made up with her. It was really hard for her. It was great for me, because my grandma came to my birthday party, and I had really missed her. And that's why I paid for her in all those places. It was my mom, because she was so brave. My stuff, I, I don't know, I think some people are too scared or something. Think things can be different. But I guess it's hard for some people who are so used to things the way they are, even if they're bad, to change. And they kind of give up. When they do, everybody kind of, they kind of lose. These moments make you sorry to have to report anything at all. This remarkable young man died at 7.35 this evening. There are now confirmed incidents of pay it forward in Los Angeles, San Francisco, and in Phoenix, we're checking to see if the 16 foster children who just received computers is in any way connected to this movement. It's hard. You can't plan it. You have, you have to watch people more, you know, sort of. 
sort of keep an eye on him, to protect him, because they can't always see what they need. It's, it's like your big chance to fix something that's not like your bike. You can fix a person. A man is placed upon the stairs A baby cries High above you can hear the church bells start to ring And the heaviness, the heaviness that you could look at a little boy's life like that and say he's too young what difference could he have made and the fact is like I told you before there's really no power in just a generous life without Jesus Christ it has to be agape love that generates it that powers it through the Holy Spirit but even a young life that really exercises agape love and giving like that could be that powerful a church that gives like that, a church that lives out like that would be that powerful. In fact, that's how Christianity got started. 
the founders of Christianity, all but one, gave their lives. Every single disciple gave their lives. Except for John, who was banished to an island and died of old age, but they tried to kill him. They tried to martyr him. God just kept him alive to write Revelation. Everybody else gave the most they possibly could give for that cause that was that huge. So I want you to think about your difference, your place on the wall, and what difference one church could make in Charlotte, a city of churches, if they were really generous. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your purposes. Lord, all of these, these words that begin with the letter G, they're all equally important, Father. But this one's the hardest for us, no doubt. Lord, we think that the stuff that we have in our lives is our stuff. We think the money is ours. We think the talents are ours. We don't stop to think, where did I get this talent? How am I able to do what I'm able to do? And Lord, like Romans 1 says, we forget about you, even though you are so obvious to anybody who truly opens the eyes and looks around. You're obvious. So God, I pray for Impact Church that everybody would live their life with, an, with a view to you, Lord, and according to the owner's manual, and, and knowing that you shaped and, and molded them for a specific purpose, and that is to glorify your name and grow your kingdom. Help us to do that as a church, Lord. We wanna make a mark. We wanna leave an impact, even long after we're gone. And though we are small, Lord, I pray that you will do a mighty work through us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. See you next week. <laughs>